Well, listen, I know that uh, we have a number of guests among us today, and I want to welcome you. If you don't know me, my name is Steve, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I get to uh, bring God's Word to us today. And for those of you who are new to New Life, I want to just let you know a few things about us, okay? So first off, uh, we have no perfect people here in the room, like zero, all right? And I know you look around maybe and everybody looks like they have it all together, but don't be fooled. I know these people, they have issues. I have issues. We all have issues. So if you're an imperfect person, you should fit right in. Having said that, I also want you to know that there are a lot of people in this room right now who are sincerely following Jesus Christ. I am so grateful to be part of a church family where so many have received everything that Jesus has to offer them, and, and they're not perfect, no, but they're, they're letting his light shine in their lives, and they're the real deal, and I want you to know that as well. I'd also like you to know that we believe here in this church in the truthfulness and authority of the Bible. That means we elevate what the Bible says over human opinion, because we believe that the Bible is the Word of God, and God is smarter than humans. And so we want to know what God has to say about stuff, right? The Bible's the Word of God, so we seek to teach and preach God's truth from the Bible every week in every setting at every age level from little ones all the way on up. And I'm going to give you a lot of Bible here today also, and that's why we provide a study guide for you that's in the worship folder that you were hopefully handed, if we still had any left, uh, when you came in today. We have a conviction around here that people need to know the truth of God's Word and are benefited from knowing the truth of God's Word. And then I want you to know around here that we love Jesus Christ. We love the good news that Jesus Christ brings to us and is for us. We think there's no better news that this world could hear than the news of Jesus. And so on this day, Easter Sunday... We right now are joining millions of people all around the world who are celebrating a historical event that took place nearly 2,000 years ago over in Israel when that young man, Jesus of Nazareth, after having been brutally executed by the authorities and buried in a rich man's tomb, miraculously came back to life as he predicted that he would. And we Christians believe this, that Jesus literally bodily came out of that grave that very first Easter Sunday. And because of that, we believe he's very much alive today. And we're convinced that just changes everything, that Jesus is alive. I'd like to read to you the historical account of what happened. Beginning on that Friday, Good Friday. It was earlier that day that Jesus was beaten, brutally beaten, and hung on a cross to die. Then let me pick up the narrative in Matthew chapter 27, verse 57. So just listen as I read. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. That word just means a follower or a learner of Christ. So he went to Pilate, who was the Roman official there, and he asked for the, the body of Jesus, the dead body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in a rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. 
Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. Now, you need to know in the New Testament, there are five Marys, so it can be very confusing, okay? Here's two of them, Mary and Mary. The next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees, those were Jewish religious leaders, gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter, speaking of Jesus, said while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. So there was some collusion that was taking place between the Romans and the Jewish authorities to try to make sure Jesus' body stayed in the grave. Chapter 28, verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. They went to visit the grave of Jesus. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I have told you. And so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings, like, hey. (laughs) And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. So this man, who by all accounts was very much dead, was now alive again. And for 20 centuries now, Christians, those who follow that man, have celebrated that event, that event that changed history, that event that occurred on the very first Easter Sunday morning. Now, I know that today there are some of you, and you're here, you're here on church on Easter Sunday, but you would not really consider yourself to be a believer in Jesus. Maybe you got dragged here. I don't know. Maybe you got bribed by your aunt who said she'd take you out to eat afterwards if you'd go to church with her. But you're here, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus or, or a believer in Jesus. And you have your reasons, right? Maybe you have some intellectual doubts about this story I just read, about the veracity of this story. Something about it doesn't, just doesn't square up for you and you just don't buy it. Or maybe in your life, somebody who was supposed to represent God to you didn't. Instead, maybe they hurt you or wounded you or injured you in some way or disappointed you or maybe turned out to be a phony, a fraud, a hypocrite. And sadly, that happens sometimes, doesn't it? Or maybe in your life, you've had questions about Christianity that no one could ever really answer to your satisfaction. Or maybe some things have happened somewhere in your life that just kind of soured you on God and and turned you away from faith. 
Or maybe you're just thinking, I don't get what the big deal is about Easter. Why all the fuss about Easter? I mean, I don't really see how something that supposedly happened 2,000 years ago in another country has anything to do with my life here and now. I guess I'm glad other people seem to be inspired by it, but it's not doing anything for me. Listen, if any of those describe your thoughts, I want you to know I'm really glad you're here today. I really am. A little later on, you're going to hear from some of our people, from some, some new lifers who are sitting among us right now. And you're going to hear about their spiritual journeys, and some of them are coming from really dark places and places of confusion and, and doubt. And I think their stories are very compelling, and I'm hoping they'll give you some food for thought. But before we go there, I want to offer you three thoughts. Now, I'm a pastor, and pastors preach sermons, and sermons have points. So I've got three points for you today. They're on that study guide if you want to pull that out so you can follow along with me. Three thoughts from the Bible on this topic of resurrection or coming alive again, which is the theme of Easter. And as a Bible teacher, I really want all of us to be very, very clear on what the Bible says about this. This this notion of resurrection, of being raised, it's really a multifaceted topic in the Bible And then as you you understand it better, then you can make your own decision about what you believe. So here's my first point. Scripture, the Bible, records multiple accounts of physical resurrections that have already taken place. Did you know that? Does anybody know how many accounts of resurrection there are in the Scripture? There are ten. Ten resurrection accounts in the Bible of people who were dead, people whose heart had stopped beating, whose brainwaves had ceased, who were dead, and they, through a miraculous act, came alive again. Let me, I wish I had time to go through all of them. There's, you've heard of Lazarus, right? Maybe you've heard of um, the widow's son that Elijah raised from the dead. There's ten of them. My favorite is the young man named Eutychus. You know his story? So Eutychus was like a teenage boy, and he was in church on a Sunday night, and church was on the third floor of a house. And he was sitting in the windowsill. And it's late at night, and it's hot and humid because it's the Middle East, right? And the great apostle Paul is preaching a sermon, and as preachers are wont to do sometimes, Paul was going on and on and on and on, like I'm hoping to not do today. And it was hot, and this kid had been up all day, and he, he was getting, starting to doze off a little bit, and he kept catching himself. Finally, he succumbed to the terrible tiredness and fell asleep and tumbled out of that third floor window and hit the ground and died. It's horrible. And I can imagine Paul, you know, you know, just hearing about that and thinking, I got more points that that guy needs to hear in my sermon. <laughs> so he rushes out of the room rushes down the stairs, sees the guy sprawled out on the ground, stretches his body out across this young man's body, and cries out to God to restore his life, and he does. And Eutychus is raised from the dead. I just love that story, I guess because preachers and sermons are involved. But um, that's one of ten. And, And here's the thing. One of those ten resurrections was unlike all the others. And that was the resurrection of Jesus. 
And one of the ways that the resurrection of Jesus was unique is this. He never died again. All the others who were raised died again. Did you know that Lazarus had a second funeral? All of, all of them did, except Jesus did not. That's, we know this because Romans 6, 9 says, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. We know he was ascended back up into heaven, right? Jesus' resurrection was unique. All of these resurrections were meant to provide a foretaste of the future full taste of God's coming eternal kingdom where death and dying and funerals will be a distant memory, a thing of the past. Thank God. All of these resurrections were previews of the coming resurrection of all of humanity. So listen, Easter... Easter today shows us that there is a power that is stronger than death. And that power has been put on display multiple times in history. And you know what? It's going to get put on display again because point number two. Scripture predicts the future physical resurrection of everyone who dies. There are more resurrections to come than just those ten accounts that I told you about. Jesus himself said it. John 5, 28, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in their tombs will hear his voice and come out. I'm telling you, that's a powerful voice that can do that. You know, don't you go to the cemetery and try that and bring the film crew along with you. You'll be embarrassed. This is the power of the Son of God who is life. More resurrections to come. In God's plan, there's a specific order, a sp specific sequence of these resurrections. It says it in 1 Corinthians 15, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, he was the first to come out of the grave, never to die again. But then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So there's a divinely ordained sequence of resurrections of people being raised from the dead, never to die again. Now, I should say there are differ differing opinions about the relative time frames of, of when those resurrections are going to occur, but it seems from my study of Scripture that those who believe in Jesus will be raised first and then non-believers later. I get that from several scriptures, but probably primarily from Revelation chapter 20, Revelation, the last book of the Bible. Verse 4 says this, they came to life, speaking of believers, they came to life and reigned with Christ for how long? A thousand years. Then there's this parenthesis, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. And speaking of that first group, this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. So, you see two resurrections and two deaths. And if you get to participate in the first resurrection, you miss the second death. And I'll tell you, you want to miss the second death. So be part of the first resurrection, and I'll tell you how in a bit. It also appears in Scripture that there's going to be a select group of people, of human beings, who will not need to be raised from the dead because they will not die. And I get that from a passage in 1 Thessalonians I don't have time to read, but it basically says there's going to be a generation of believers on earth when Jesus comes who are going to be caught up 
to meet the Lord in the air, I want to be in that group, frankly. Uh, that would be my wish. Now listen, resurrections are coming, all will be raised, and there are two primary categories or classifications of resurrection that are mentioned in the scriptures, both Old and New Testament, two destinies, Daniel 12, 2, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. I like to be in that first group. Jesus reinforced this. Do not marvel at this. I read this already. An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Acts 24, 15, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So listen, beyond resurrection, an eternal existence awaits everyone. I feel like pastors like me here in the West need to say this a lot to our congregations. This life is not all there is. This life is not all there is. It's not. I know it seems to be, but it's not. There's an existence beyond the grave, beyond resurrection for everyone. Is it appointed unto man to die once, but after that comes judgment. And Jesus said, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Do you see this? Two destinies await humanity. You say, how do I get in that, that good group, <laughs> that everlasting life group? Well, at the funeral of Lazarus, Jesus' good friend, where it says Jesus wept, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus explained to his sister Martha how to be among those who will avoid eternal punishment and instead experience eternal life beyond the grave. He said this, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, Though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Never be separated from God for eternity and eternal judgment. That's what he was talking about. It's faith. Those who entrust their full lives to me, Jesus said. Uh, Billy Graham was one of my heroes. I love that man. Billy Graham was not perfect. He did not claim to be perfect. You can go online, watch his sermons. He did not claim to be a perfect man. But I greatly admired his laser focus on the good news of Jesus for 60 years. That's honorable in my opinion. As you know, Billy Graham passed away a while back. And I love this quote from him from when he was living that I read. He said this, Someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. I shall be more alive than I am right now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. Amen. Billy Graham believed what Jesus said, what the Bible clearly states, that this life is not all there is. There is existence beyond the grave. You see, Easter guarantees us that the power that raised Jesus from the grave will raise us from the grave one day as well, and usher us into eternity. We will be alive again. But now listen, there's something else that all of us need to understand today, okay? 
You see, the Bible does talk about physical resurrection, those who've already been raised, the promise that we will be raised in body one day. But Scripture also talks about another kind of resurrection, a kind that we can experience right now, in this life. That's my third point. Scripture also reveals a present spiritual resurrection in which all who entrust their lives to the crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ receive His life now. Like right now. A spiritual resurrection in which people who were dead, not physically dead, but spiritually dead, dead to God, or as the Bible says, dead in sin, not responsive to God, when this resurrection happens to someone, they, they come alive to God. Like that. They're, 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 they're responsive now to God. They're raised to life in a sense. The Bible's very clear that when, when a person, any person, comes to that point in their life where they transfer their trust from whatever it was in to Jesus, to the crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ, in that moment they come alive. They come alive to God. When they count the cross of Jesus as their only hope of ever being forgiven, ever being close to God, in that moment, they come alive to God in a very special way. We hear about this in verses like Ephesians 2.4, where it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. Can I just tell you on this Easter Sunday that God loves you? He took care of your biggest problem. Did you know that? But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, our sins, he made us alive together with Christ. That's spiritual resurrection. John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came, Jesus said, that they may have life and have it abundantly to the full. You see, Easter holds out the promise and possibility not only of future resurrection, but of a new kind of life available to us now. Amen. Now. Coming alive to God. And listen, this only comes from Jesus. Only from Him. He's the author of this kind of life. Like it says in 1 John 5.11, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in who? In His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's only in Jesus. This, this life is what humanity craves. It's what the human soul longs for and aches for. It says, in Him was life, in Jesus was life, and this life was the light of men. And whatever else that verse means, it means that it's the life of God that people are really looking to experience in their life. It awakens the soul to new spiritual realities. The one who comes alive to God starts to become responsive now to God, to His Word and His impulses and His promptings. It's a relationship with God that causes you to come alive. It's a new quality of life. It's called eternal life in the Bible. It's a life of knowing and relating to God as your Father and being adopted into His family, His forever family. This is eternal life, Jesus said, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 
As I mentioned earlier, there are a number of people here who have experienced this, this, this coming alive to God. And I asked a few of my friends, knowing that Easter was coming, I asked a few of my friends if they'd be willing to share a bit of their story with you today. And graciously, they agreed to that. And I believe that you're going to resonate with some of these stories, okay? So uh, will you turn your attention to the side screens now? Before I come to before I come to the Lord, I was I was searching for the truth. Um, everywhere I turned, I couldn't believe the truth. I couldn't believe what everybody was telling me. I couldn't believe what the media was saying. I couldn't I just couldn't believe any of it. Um, so I was searching. Before Christ, um, before I came alive to God, um, I was definitely missing my relationship with Jesus. I was definitely missing true joy and true love in my life. When I was in fifth grade, I was given my first video game system and seems like a, you know, a very minor event in a person's life. But what I found very quickly um, is that I was completely hooked. Uh, I was mad if I couldn't get to play it. I was mad if I lost. I was mad if, you know, one of my friends didn't want to play it with me. And, um, you know, it was all I wanted to do. It was all I wanted to to talk about. And so, you know, basically the next 29 years, uh, this was always something that I carried through my life. With my background, I was abused as a child, so I, it's safe to say I had some trust issues and it's always been hard for me to grow close to people. And I first got saved, I was on fire for God. I had a passion for his word, uh, going to church. I grew a lot, I learned a lot, but I never developed real relationships with other believers. And after a while alone, there's always, you, you reach a plateau. You can't, you can only do so much alone, especially in spiritual matters. Before I came alive to God, I was aimlessly just wandering um, in search of love, identity, and purpose. I know that now. Um, I can say that clearly now. Um, that's what I was looking for and um, I was going to the ends of the earth to find it, and I got, you know, hurt in the process a lot. So, um, just a lot of wandering and just, um, just aimlessly wandering. I was looking in the wrong places. Drugs, they, they, they didn't make me feel alive. It brought me more to death. But I thought that I thought I was alive. Ultimately, it's just a sense of purpose. Um, I think without God, you just kind of, life is like a checklist. You know, you go to school, you get a bachelor's degree. You might even go to grad school, get your um, degree there. Um, get a nice job, get a wife, have kids. But then like, what happens next? Like what happens when you complete the checklist? And I think what, that was a meaning that I was always striving to get to because I was like, what's gonna happen when I get to the end? Well, I got saved uh, as a teenager, so um, I in a Sunday school class, and so you know I was at an early age, around 13 or 14, is when I came to know the Lord, but I was never really discipled much, and I was in a pretty uh, legalistic church, 
So I kind of fell into that. I really fell into the performance mindset. My, my whole life flipped upside down to where I was, instead of living life, I was dabbling in life and living in fantasy. Um, so that's where all my passions were. That's what I cared about. And, and really the sort of the, the very valley of that, um, it was all I thought about. What I wanted was to get home, put my kids in bed, get onto the computer, and go live in my, you know, I live out my persona where I was powerful and I was in control and I had riches. Before I came alive to God, I didn't know what I was chasing, to be honest. Um, I wanted to do everything the right way of what I was taught, like get a job. I moved to Columbus and I'm like, once I get to a certain point, I'm going to be happy. And I was so confused because I was like, I have pretty much all the pieces, but I just felt like something was missing and I didn't know what, and I didn't really know where to go from there. Um, I was doing all the right things for mostly the wrong reasons because I was trying to earn God's acceptance because that's what I thought it was all about. It was all about sinning less, that I needed to sin less to keep God happy. I don't know if it was still my reluctance to open up to people past that surface level, and that kind of stymied my growth to the point where I just slowly started, stopped doing devotions, stopped praying, and I'd still go to church and kind of go through the motions, but you hit that plateau and you're, I worship music and stuff, I wouldn't feel anything, so why, why am I doing this? I'd start questioning my own faith, and I'm just going through the motions what was missing in my life was Jesus. When I truly came alive in God was um, a year ago in February. I went to a Freedom Encounter that New Life here put on, um, Women's Freedom Encounter. Um, that's when I had the Lord bless me with his beautiful vision of we were listening to a song and the lyrics just prompted a vision of of me in the tabernacle looking at the Holy of Holies. And I just broke right the curtain tour, the veil tour, and I ran straight into Jesus' arms and he gave me this huge bear hug. And I just like instantly broke down like bubbling an idiot. And I was just like, oh my gosh. And all the women around me were like, what's going on but you know in an encounter that's normal so you just kind of let the person go but it was incredible and coming out of that is like that vision was how i felt god's true love for the first time like true true love for the first time you know i was, I was in a bad place wanting to know the truth i had i had i had some issues going i had some addictions going um the small group that my wife was in and I was invited to really was a really big role in that and changing and changing my life. Um, I, I got to the point where the leader of the small group, I could confess stuff with him. And when, when you're, when you're able to confess what you're hiding, that's free. That's what's made. That's what makes you free, and that was that was huge for me. It was absolutely huge. And God 
um, through, you know, essentially through an intervention, I was given a choice. And I thought that the choice was give up video games or lose your family. I thought that's what the choice was. And in, th in that moment, when that choice was presented to me, um, God spoke to me and he said, you know, if you're going to survive this, if you're gonna survive giving up, it, what I understand now was losing your identity, losing your coping mechanisms. If you're gonna survive that, you're gonna to have to pursue me like you did back in college. And I, and I thought, you know, that meant you're gonna to get to keep your family and all of the things that, you know, that are around you. Um, now I understand that, you know, he would say, if you're going to get out of this counterfeit life and, and, and find what's real, you're gonna to have to pursue me. I remember I was walking in a development close to my apartment and I was feeling really down because of that, because I didn't know what was missing. I needed to fill a void. And I just remember hearing a voice and it said, maybe you need Jesus. And it came out of nowhere, Pastor Steve, it came out of nowhere. And that's not something I would usually think. So about a week later, I was still feeling pretty down because I didn't know what to come of it. It was just a voice. And my best friend uh, happened to get married a couple weeks later and her parents were Christian and they went to church and her mom told me to call her because I was feeling down that day. And I called her and I said a prayer and I accepted Christ into my heart. And ever since then, like my life just feels so much better and complete and I know the purpose of life now. I've been you know, lucky to be successful in my career so far. Like even if I get to that top, top tier, what is that gonna mean to me at the end of the day? Nothing, you know? And like th there's only one way that I can do this. And that's what Ecclesiastes showed me. Just by the virtue of my career, like I'm like, show me the evidence, like show me exactly like what why I should believe in this. And there are definitely things um, that humans can't observe that you know, are real that we just can't see, but that's really where I'm coming from and where I think a lot of other people are coming from too. Um, and honestly, the biggest thing was seeing the rise of mass shootings in this country. It's, it's terrifying. It's, I'm disturbed by that troubling trend. And you know, I, I hear some people saying, hey, if we adopted the gun control policies of other countries, we would be okay. But to me, that completely misses the point. Why are we going through this in the first place? Like we had guns like back in the 60s and 70s and like this never happened. So when I was looking at that, I was thinking to me, like there's been a profound culture change within this country. And it's to me, the obvious reason is because lack of faith over time, lack of God, idolatry of other things. He gave me every chance so my wife, he gave me every chance to do this the easy way, but I elected the hard way. And because of that pin falling 65 feet and hit me in the back of the head, which should have killed me, that wasn't in God's plan. Um, actually woke me up, made me come alive. Once you make it to that point, he wakes you up and he's bringing you home. But he's bringing you home on his time, not his, not yours. Well, I had um, a guy who just really, really pursued me. 
Um, he saw that, you know, that emptiness in my eyes as I was walking around the church and he just recognized me. He says, hey, you know, I'm a recovering Pharisee and it looks like you're a Pharisee too. I started to seek God like it said to do. Seek him and you will find him. I really held on to that and I said, okay, well, he says if I seek, I'll find him. Let's see if it's true. And I did. And so I, momentarily, it, it came right after I decided to, to try him out. I'm, I'm so grateful that he brought certain people in my life and just kept working on my heart to the point where I lost that fear of rejection, that fear of not being accepted, which in retrospect, you know, those are, those are stupid. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. And that's when I really started growing again and getting back on fire for God again and coming back to life in Christ. So several things have changed. Um, one thing that changed that I'm so thankful for is my appetite has changed. I never thought that I was going to be free from pornography. Didn't think it could be done. I thought that I was broken inside, that my sexuality was broken. And, you know, it's funny because when I made a choice for God and for my life, I thought in that point, I was asking God to free me from uh, a life of video games, of fantasy. What I didn't anticipate is that he was coming for all of it. Um, he wanted to come for all of it. Me coming to life in God has changed many aspects of my life, but um, I am very different with my friends, um, my family, and um, I have a very different relationship with my girlfriends now. Um, I love them on a whole different level and I actually pray for them now and, and we all pray together now and um, that's another aspect that I actually want to get involved in ministry at the church now. I've become much more forgiving, uh, much more loving of, of other people. Um, I really struggled with people. I used to say, hey, church would be great if it wasn't for all the people, you know, and uh, but now I'm, people are what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And uh, so more loving, more caring. My kids, my kids are like, my kids are like, you're not the same guy. I did a lot of damage to my kids when they were younger, just being rigid and demanding perfection from them because that's what I felt was demanded of me. But praise God, I don't gotta be perfect. Don't gotta do anything. So that's, I think that's the biggest difference. I'm really at the point now where I wanna help other guys through the word of God, through, through his work. Um, I guess that's why she says I'm on fire because I'm, ex I'm so fired up and I'm so excited to help other guys. I want, I want to do this so bad. You know, rather than pursuing like instantaneous gratification, instantaneous uh, hedonistic pleasures, you know, I, I tend to think like, hey, is this, really, is this really what I want to do? You know, and the biggest example for me is every man's battle, it's with pornography. You know, I'm offering a lot more resistance now having come to faith than I ever would have been able to attain on my own. 
Yeah, I could tell Jesus's life is in me now because the decisions I'm making now are very different than before. Um, I know that I'm not perfect, but I'm kind of more drawn away from my past actions. Um, and also I like to, I think about things more before I do them. If you would have known me 15 years ago, I wouldn't be anywhere near what the man that you see today. He, God is real, he changes your life. He works from the inside out. The Holy Spirit just changes your heart. And, and I know bad things still happen. You still put through tests and trials, sicknesses, deaths. But the thing that's different is I have a faith I can rely on and I always feel God's presence. You never feel alone. There's always somewhere you can turn, whether I choose to or not, it's another story, but God's always there with you to help you. And, and now that I've got a tighter community with his, his people and his family, <laughs> that's, that's so much easier too, instead of just being, do, doing it all alone. And um, another major thing I used to struggle a lot with, you know, like I said, relationships with men. And I am, um, I used to look to them for approval and to them for my worth. What God spoke to me before when he said that I can and I will love in a healthy way, it's it's true, like it's happening. And and I see very clearly that Jesus truly just does love me and that he has helped me purify my life and and um, because it's just very different this time around and it's been awesome. It, it's not me, it's the Lord. The Lord is, he's in me and he's, he's got me stirred up. I mean, he's... He's got me. He's got me going good, and it's a real good direction. So, I'm excited. Wanting to learn about the Bible. I mean, I went to church before, but it wasn't the same. I couldn't read you one verse out of that Bible. I never brought a Bible to church. I never owned a Bible until I came back. My mind, the way that I think, the things that I do, um, my identity. I know. Um, I don't struggle with rejection and abandonment like I used to um, at all, really, because God does not reject me. And um, he's a father. I've learned that I'm a daughter to a father. <laughs> and that is just, that right there was the problem that I didn't know. And so he, um, he showed me and I just, I have a reverence for him and a love and um, call to repentance like never before. I just want to please and I just want to live how I'm supposed to live because it's good and it feeds me and it's healthy and it helps my family and it produces other things in my life and around me. Friendships are strong, they're good, they're healthy. And I don't wander, I don't wander anymore. I just don't, I'm solid and I know who I am now. I'm Jeff Ely, and I'm coming alive to God. I'm Ben Hawks, and I'm coming alive to God. <laughs> I'm Laurel Webb, and I'm coming alive to God. I'm Mark Olfig, and I'm coming alive to God. I'm Adam Stang, and I'm coming alive to God. I'm Sarah Parker, and I'm coming alive to God. I'm Jeff Menhinnick, and I'm coming alive to God. I'm Stoney Langley, and I'm coming alive to God. I'm Megan and I'm coming alive to God. <laughs>
Now, those were not paid actors. Those are real people sitting among you right now. I just have to love what Ben said. He said, I thought God was coming for this, and I realize he's coming for all of it. When God's coming for you, to you, he's coming for your whole life because he wants you to have his life. Coming alive to God is something, listen, that God wants for everybody, for every person. As you can tell from those stories, receiving the life of Jesus doesn't erase the messiness of life. It doesn't mean that your life is going to become easy and that you won't have any more hardship. What it does mean is that no matter what you are called to endure in this life, God is with you. God is with you. It means having a new outlook and a new purpose in life. It means God working in your life to transform you, to transform your heart so that you love what He loves. It means receiving a new family to be a part of, a forever family, and a heavenly Father to love you and to be loved by you. It's beautiful. The life of God is beautiful, and I so want it for every one of you. And so on this Easter Sunday morning, I must ask, are you one who has come alive to God? Have you come alive to God yet? I got to tell you, it comes by faith. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You can't barter for it. It comes by faith. The Bible's clear. No human being could be good enough to receive this. This life I'm talking about is a gift from God, received by faith when you transfer your trust from whatever it's been in to the crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ who died for your sins and rose from the grave for your justification before God, your forgiveness. Jesus himself said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, present tense. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Would you just think about what you've seen and heard this morning? Would you just take a moment and ponder that in your heart? I, I'm so proud of those, my friends who were courageous enough to share their stories, and they shared some pretty raw stuff, didn't they? And we've been praying this week that, that, that something would resonate with you from one of these stories, and I, I'd just like to see a show of hands. If something in those stories resonated with you, would you just lift your hand? Amen. Amen. Many, many, many of you. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, Steve, I'm, I'm not really sure that I've come alive to God yet. But yeah, something in that story that I just saw resonated with me. I, I know I need to find out more about this life of Jesus that you're talking about. And I, I pray that you would talk to someone, talk to the person that you, who invited you, talk to one of our uh, prayer partners who will be here momentarily and you can come up and just ask your question of them or ask them to pray for you that, that you'll be found by God. I'm telling you, there's more to discover here. There is. There's more to discover here. I, I also hope you'll come back next week because we're going to unpack this even more 
next weekend what it means to receive this life that's in Jesus. And I would, I would call, call upon you right now to put your trust in Christ. So I don't know everything. I don't understand everything. That's fine. Just, you can say it like this. Jesus, I give all that I am of me to all that I understand of you. Lord, I thank you for people who have done this, who have yielded the controls of their life to you, who've received your life, Jesus, who've repented of trusting just in themselves and who've allowed the life of Jesus to fill them up and let it show. Lord, I pray that for everybody in the room, Lord. Would you be so good as to grant the gift of faith to any in the room who have not yet ever come to Jesus. Lord, we rejoice in you and your life. Thank you for changing us. We want to celebrate that right now. Thank you for hearing this prayer because I offer it in your precious name. Amen.